You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. Greg and Doug Stokes with Lanyap Podcast. Today is March 14th, Tuesday, following a wild weekend. News on Friday was that Silicon Valley Bank, based in Silicon Valley, obviously, uh, collapsed. The, F- the FDIC uh, took over control of the bank. It was the largest single bank collapse since Washington Mutual in 2008, $200 billion. And over the weekend, the fear and concern was that anyone that had any money deposited corporations, individuals over the FDIC limits, which are $250,000 per entity or $500,000 for a joint couple, would have the money above and beyond those FDIC limits disappear. News on Sunday was that the government was basically backstopping the FDIC guarantee and anything above and beyond those amounts would not be lost. Monday was a wild day. Markets started down, uh, recovered, then ended basically flat. Uh, the, the, the interesting, there's a lot of interesting dynamics here. Doug, just give me your thoughts on exactly why this happened. Why did Silicon Valley Bank go through this rigmarole and where do, where do things stand right now as it relates to the, the news that's been driving the markets, CPI, the Fed, raising rates, et cetera? Yeah, so I think uh, this is a tale of really two stories. Uh, the, the demise of Silicon Valley Bank really started uh, in the COVID era in which there was a speculative fervor in specifically in startups and venture capital and uh, everything technology-based in sort of the Northern California part of the world, in which and I'm looking at a Forbes article. This was written uh, a day or two ago, but essentially assets grew uh, you know, 100% year over year, 2020, 2021, and continued to grow into 2022. And so all of these depositors from you know, venture capital-backed companies that were getting these huge fundraising rounds, uh, they basically took those deposits from uh, investors, put them in Silicon Valley Bank. And so the, the deposit growth at Silicon Valley Bank grew substantially in 2020, 2021, and in the early part of 2022. Uh, at the same time, interest rates were incredibly low. And so Silicon Valley Bank, the way that banks work is that they take deposits and lend them out. Um, and there's a a typically a, a mismatch in time horizon between deposits being very short term and loans being long term. And so uh, there's that potential for an asset, what's called an asset liability mismatch. But um, essentially what happened was these deposits grew rapidly. They were buying, they didn't have the, the uh, ability to lend them out very quickly. So they were buying mortgage-backed securities and treasury bonds at very low interest rates because the Federal Reserve had lowered rates to zero for a very long period of time during the COVID era. And then really two things happened in 2022 in the beginning part of 2023. Number one, the Federal Reserve raised rates substantially, interest rates grew substantially. And so if you're buying a mortgage-backed security that has a 1% interest rate and all of a sudden interest rates go to four or 5%, then the value of your 1% mortgage-backed security or any bond uh, is goes down substantially. So 
Um, that doesn't really matter unless there's a actual depositor that wants to withdraw money. So Silicon Valley Bank had these 1% or even less uh, securities on their balance sheet. They're holding them at cost because banks are not required to mark to, mar- to mark to market those types of securities. And then what happened was all these venture-backed companies were having trouble raising money uh, because the bubble had burst in that area of the market. And so they were burning cash, meaning taking deposits out and spending them. And what uh, Silicon Valley Bank had to do was then sell some of these mortgage-backed securities and other treasury bonds uh, in the open market. And what happens when you own a 1% bond when interest rates are at 4% or 5% is that that 1% bond is worth a lot less. And so this sort of cascade effect occurred where they were having to sell bonds at substantial discounts at substantial losses to meet the distribution requirements. And I think this all came to a head last week when there was a sort of like a round table amongst the who's who and venture capital community. Uh, they all freaked out about uh, Silicon Valley Bank's potential inability to meet uh, depositor demands for withdrawals. Uh, there was a run on the bank. And then the funny part about that is all these same venture capital people that uh, uh, were, were calling for everybody to withdraw their money from Silicon Valley Bank last week over the weekend were, were calling on the government to backstop all depositors and insure uh, above the FDIC limit. So it's uh, sort of these, um, there's, there's a hypocritical component to that. But um, crazy story. Um, you know, another bank, Signature Bank, which was in the crypto space, collapsed. Uh, Silvergate Bank collapsed. Um, and so I think uh, the positive for uh, depositors, one of the issues or potential issues was that there was going to be just a run on regional banks um, for the this month because of the FDIC uh, uninsured component. And it looks like that's been evaded because of uh, the, the government game came in and, and it's going to back up uh, all depositors but even above FDIC coverage. So crazy story. The interesting thing about this particular bank run is that it took place in the technological age. Bank runs in the past basically were people would go and stand in line with the teller and submit a withdrawal slip or whatever. This particular one was done electronically People were posting on Twitter, pull your money out of the of, um, Silicon Valley Bank. Venture capitalists were, there's an art, really interesting article on the Wall Street Journal about that detailed the whole story about people running on this bank. And it happened really quickly. Um, life comes at you fast. And Silicon Valley Bank discovered that. You mentioned Signature Bank in New York. Did you see their, the board member, the famous board member that they had? It was uh, Barney Frank. Who, yeah, Dodd Frank, right, who wrote the yeah. who was a, the the quintessential banking law of the modern era. The author, one of the co-authors or co-sponsors of that legislation, Barney Frank, was on the board of this bank that that failed in New York. So a little hypocrisy there, hypocrisy all around, basically. Um, in this particular, yeah, I think this is this is just a, a classic lesson in uh, in prudent cash management, like. I don't think any individual, I, I, I understand it more from a corporate perspective, but any individual uh, shouldn't have more than the FDIC insured, insured coverage 
at any given bank. Now, you can make an argument that the major banks like Chase or you know, Wells Fargo or you know some of these what they call system systemically important uh, banks, SIBs, uh, you can make a case that you can have higher than FDIC coverage there because the the government just those are, they're too big to fail. But even there, I mean, it's like why would you have more than you know, you're basically a lender to the bank at that point above, and you're earning nothing the, too on top of that, right? And so, so with where interest rates are today in money market funds and treasuries, there's no there's no point in just other than pure um, sort of the procrastination and, and laziness to have more than uh, coverage at a single bank. And so, and we've been talking to people about this a lot specifically over the last 12 months as treasury rates have come up. Um, it's, it's just prudent to be uh, from a cash management perspective to anything, any sort of excess cash, specifically excess cash above FDIC uh, that you still need as liquid and as safe, uh, but earning more, and fully guaranteed to have in treasury bonds or CDs that are or a government backed money market. Yeah. So, um, from a just pure financial planning perspective, that's, uh, that's like an easy box to check. Now, now businesses are, it's, it's more difficult, uh, just because if you're a large corporation and, and the news came out on some of these corporations that had, you know, billion dollars plus with Silicon Valley bank, which is, which is crazy in and of itself. But, it's hard to spread the, the cash around at dif- with different banking relationships. But again, it's easy to, from a cash management perspective, to say, look, with that excess cash, let's buy rolling treasury bonds or money markets that are government-backed and, uh, and call it a day. It just, uh, just seems like that's an easy, no-brainer, doesn't take a huge lift to get that done. So there's all these stories that come out after the collapse of, of banks or these you know, big events. I mentioned Barney Frank was on the board of Signature Bank on a on someone who was prudent in terms of cash management. Um, Giannis, did you see the story about him? Yeah, he has. He has. Apparently, he's very well aware, and he's Greek, so he's he's got he's, has has seen bank failures and economic strife in the past. But in any event, he has. Uh, $250,000 at something like 50 plus banks or something like that. <laughs> right. Well, that's also, that seems so over the top. Right, you just buy the treasury, just, right? right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, but um, anyway, so that we, here we are, it's Tuesday that it, it really did. That there was all kinds of news over the weekend. I was, my wife was complaining to me about how much time I was spending on my phone. The, the concern was, is that the, this, there is going to be knockoff effects in terms of bank runs, and this this still may happen. I mean, there's no guarantee, but there were other banks that were specifically in that geographic region that had venture capital type of um, depositors that were burning cash, like you mentioned, private equity, California real estate, all of these things that were really sexy, like for the last decade, nobody wants to touch, and the banks are dealing with the ramifications of that. It seems as of now that things have chilled out. The markets as of now are positive that CPI number, numbers came out um, right basically in line with what the market pers- expected. But the interesting thing, and there's this is sort of a, a saying in, in terms of what the Fed does, but the, the Fed in terms of raising rates, they raise until something breaks is the saying. And 
obviously this something broke and the markets were really freaked out because uh, if the banking system collapses, then you, that can have some, cause some contagion and can cause some much bigger ramifications than um, anybody really anticipated. So the news from an analytical standpoint, what, what the analysts are thinking prior to Friday when this whole Silicon Valley Bank news broke, the market was expecting the Fed was going to increase rates 50 basis points at their next meeting in, in a week or two. And as of now, there's the, that according to the market, that is off the table. Of course, it may happen, but there's just as much of a chance as no increase of rates at the next meeting. Or a cut. Or a cut, yeah. So the, the Fed, like I said, the Fed raises rates until something breaks, something broke. So we'll see what happens. The terminal rate, meaning the, the peak rate that the Fed would ultimately raise rates to, also saw a decline. The the estimated rate in December, what the Fed will where the relative to, from Friday pre Silicon Valley Bank to today is like a percent less. There's been a lot of crazy movements in the bond market as a result of what happened in response to what the market is perceiving the Fed is going to do. Um, so who knows what is uh, a ramification or the ultimate ramification for for all of this, but. Maybe this changes the dynamic that we've been talking about ad nauseum for the last twelve months. And in, in fact, I was we were listening. I was listening to a podcast that we recorded about a year ago just to to gauge what our thought process was. And we just started talking about the Fed. So who knows? This might hopefully be the beginning of the end of that discussion. Yeah the uh, the move in the in the at least specifically the short term. Bond market or Treasury market was crazy. The uh, the yield on the two year Treasury fell one uh, percent from around five to around four uh, in three days, which is the largest three day decline since October nineteen eighty seven. Which um, we're all aware of what what happened then. So this is just a one one thing that I've noticed over the last several years, and this may be just the growth in the information age that things just happen so rapidly um like the covid crash 35 percent decline in three weeks followed by an immediate v-shaped recovery um the the collapse of silicon valley bank and seemingly overnight although there were people that were writing about this in november of, of 2022 that that the bank was functionally insolvent um and then the just dramatic moves in interest rates over the last 12 months not just what the federal reserve is doing but across the board and the, the major decline in the, the value of bonds over the last 12 months. This is, uh, things happen so quickly. This is, this is also just leads me to believe that like a, a prudent strategic asset allocation approach and not trying to jump in and out is even more important nowadays because it seems like information with the, as quickly as, uh, it gets across the wires that you know prices move so quickly that somebody attempting to jump in and out of the market and saying, "Look, I'm going to take a break until things settle down," it's it's almost impossible to do that nowadays because the everything's just bouncing around so quickly. Yeah, well, the the translation for "I'm going to wait until things settle down" is "I'm going to wait to buy to buy at higher prices." Yeah, but that's even more. It seems seemingly even more so now. I think right. I want to buy at much higher prices, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, because we're looking at today, I know this is, it's 
early in the morning. It's, it's 9 a.m. on the 14th. But, uh, you know, the stock market Thursday and Friday of last week was, uh, you know, was down substantially flat yesterday. Now, uh, you know, market's up, uh, you know, 2%, almost uh, large, small caps are up 2% plus, total market's up 1.6%. Uh, it's just a whole lot of volatility, uh, positive and negative, and it's just impossible to make any sort of bet other than um, just a pure asset allocation and sticking to your guns. Right, because you had Jay Powell, the markets were off big last week before the Silicon Valley Bank deal because Jay Powell went and testified in front of Congress and rattled his saber and said, we're going to keep doing our job and raising yada, yada, yada. And all of a sudden, the market is saying, that's BS, basically, you're not going to do anything. And so the whole narrative can change quickly on a dime for some exogenous reason that you were not really even anticipating like a bank failure. I mean, this, like I mentioned, this is the f- biggest bank failure since 2008. And it was like really close to the biggest one in the, in the history of the country in terms of Washington mutual. So you, there's stuff that happens. And to the extent that you're trying to, to wait it out or, or look at one particular factor that is driving the markets, something completely on unant- and unanticipated, could come in and shake things up and move things the other direction. So trying to prognosticate based upon what you see in your limited perspective is really impossible. And Doug, you're right. Things happen so quickly nowadays. It used to be, it used to be in like this, this particular, we were talking about these events from This is the biggest move since 1987. That's you were born in 1987. That's a long freaking time. Then what we've seen, like I was born in 1986, not, not to you know say that you're you know young or anything, but these things that are, were unprecedented events for 40 years or a lifetime essentially seem to be happening quickly because the markets do just respond so quickly nowadays. Yeah, so um, I want to just take a step back and talk about CPI. Uh, this this morning released was in line with expectations, meaning no surprises, um, which is a counter to last month in which it came in a little bit hotter than analysts were expecting. And so um, markets are responding accordingly. Last last month, markets were volatile uh, strictly for that reason and thinking that uh, Federal, Federal Reserve Chair Powell was going to um, raise rates. And so now with everything happening in uh, the banking sector plus inflation being in line with expectation, it gives Powell more room uh, to either not raise rates uh, or raise slightly or cut slightly. So, um, so there's some positives there. One thing I want to point out about CPI, the CPI print, which is uh, just evidence of the lagging factor of some of these items, is that shelter, specifically uh, owner's equivalent rent, which we talked about. Uh, ad nauseum a couple of months ago came in at an annualized growth rate of 8.1%, which, um, which if you're looking at the actual real estate market right now, uh, is at at 8.1%. Right, exactly. So, um, so we, uh, we talked about trueflation on the last or maybe two podcasts ago, which takes a little bit more of a, um, uh, data dependent, but also like, uh, updated view of inflation and and their uh their forecast right now is 4.56 percent um that's falling like a rock actual i mean we were looking at yeah, it last what, week it was five percent yeah so 
I would, uh, yes, five, it was 5% on, uh, above 5% at the end of February. It's two weeks later, it's at 4.5%. And so this is all, uh, all evidence that, at least in my mind, and I was listening to another podcast in which uh, Dr. David Kelly was a guest, and he's the, uh, he puts out really great research for JP Morgan. Um, and he said you know, his recommendation was just to, uh, you know, wait and see. And I think that that's, that is the exact right thing to do. I mean, the Federal Reserve continues to raise rates until something breaks. Something broke last week. But um, I don't, if you're looking at everything that is updated in terms and not lagged, inflation's falling dramatically. And so I would, uh, I would be in the camp of just an, a wait and see approach. Right. I mean, there's like, I looked at, I follow these guys, these inflation guys on Twitter. The, the shipping ind- indices are way down. Commodities prices are way down. It's going to take a while for these things to flow through the economy. And then on top of that, you've got this, like you mentioned, housing is a huge, huge component of CPI. And it's just, it's, it's, it's so lagging that it's just misleading, really. So it will be interesting. I, I think that the, the bond market really did see what's going to transpire or hope and we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be an interesting, it's, there's really never a dull moment, Doug. I mean, when we talk about, we talk about the fact that things happen so quickly, we, nobody saw this coming. Who knows what's going to happen next? But, uh, like we talked about previously, I think we're due for a slow news cycle. Um, who knows if that's going to happen or not? Yeah. What a time to launch a podcast. Um, I was like, what, what are we going to talk about every week? This is ridiculous. And then uh, there's something really something new, uh, every single week. And so, um, anyways, this is, uh, this is one, uh, for the record books and, um, and I'm, I'll be interested to just go back to this in a year or two and listen to our thoughts at the time. I think, um, there's, I'm sure we're due for more surprises. Um, the, you know, there's debate on both sides of the aisle as to what, whether, you know, the, the uninsured depositors were bailed out or not. I mean, I'm not going to take an, uh, an opinion on that. I think, um, they were definitely the, bailed out. Yeah. The, the, I, I think it, it was due time for FDIC to raise the coverage limit because it had been 250,000 for, um, a long period of time. And so, you know, 200, know it's been long. like 20 years or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. So <laughs> that's like, right. So it probably should be double that. But again, uh, I, I saw someone yesterday that was mentioning that the median, uh, dep- the median checking account balance at banks is like $5,000. And so this was a bailout of, uh, of corporations and the rich. Uh, but again, it, it, it likely led to, uh, more calm and yeah, it would have been a, it would have been a shit storm basically this week if they did not bail out um, the bank, because then that would have led to first Republic bank probably collapsing there. It would have been, it would have caused all kind of maelstrom. And um, I think that it was, it was, it was definitely a bailout. There's no taxpayer funds that were used in quotes. I'm doing the in quotes thing in my, with my fingers, but essentially what they're going to do is charge the FDIC charges a, a fee to banks for insurance coverage. They're going to just extend that, fee to or increase that fee essentially to to basically pay back themselves uh, for covering these what what that means for depositors is that i wouldn't expect much in in terms of interest uh on your on your bank account deposits going forward just because now 
I'm sure that insurance coverage is going to be substantially higher. Um, and so the bank's got to pay for it somehow. And, and so depositors are going to be either interest rates are going to be higher at banks or depositors are not going to earn really much of anything. on that. Right. And the message to any corporate uh, treasurers that are listening to this is that if you have money at a regional bank that's paying nothing, you never know what's going to happen to that regional bank, a la Signature, Sig- Signature Bank and Silicon Valley Bank. You're earning basically nothing. You're basically like a, a creditor to that particular bank. And then if you just buy a treasury or a treasury money market, you can earn in excess of 4% presently, and your money's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. So that is what qualifies as a no-brainer in my book. And I'm sure a lot of people are learning that particular lesson. And fortunately for the the people that had money on deposit at Silicon Valley Bank, they got bailed out and didn't have to learn that lesson the hard way. Although I'm sure people were freaking out this weekend that <laughs> they were in that position. But in any event, we it's been a wild, wild weekend. Tuesday, what, who knows what ha- is going to happen next. But rest assured, we'll be here and we'll be here digesting and, and uh, providing our insight in terms of what we think is going to happen. And what that thinks, what we think that's going to uh, result in, in terms of the markets. Uh, if you guys have any questions or feedback, shoot us an email. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this, please share it with your friends, family, and colleagues, and give it five stars. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.